and welcome to Best Girl Grip, the podcast that celebrates the women behind the scenes of the British film industry. I'm your host, Nicole Davis. Hello, pod pals, and welcome to season three of Best Girl Grip. I'm very excited to be back with another round of guests who will help guide us through the many different roles in the film industry. As keen listeners will be aware, I did a lockdown edition throughout the summer that was recorded via Zoom, and I naively thought that by the time I started working on season three, face-to-face recordings might be possible again. And alas, we're entering a second wave, and so most of these interviews are being done remotely, which obviously brings the occasional technical difficulty, but I hope it doesn't inhibit your enjoyment of the series. It feels very special to be launching a new series with this week's guest because it has been a long time coming and it was an interview that was delayed due to COVID. So I'm glad we got there eventually. And that guest is Anu Enriquez. Anu is a development and production assistant at Fable Pictures, whose films include Stan and Ollie and Wild Rose. Their latest production is Rocks, a vibrant and vital film about a teenage girl living in London who is trying to protect her younger brother from the authorities after her mum disappears. Annie has a credit as an associate director on that film, having worked closely with director Sarah Gavron throughout development, production and post-production. Alongside her work at Fable, Anna was also the founder and co-editor-in-chief of Skin Deep, a creative platform that is redefining culture and amplifying voices of colour through discussions of race, politics and activism through print, film and live events. Anna and I talk about who gets to be storytellers, how she formed Skin Deep to probe that question, the organic and collaborative process out of which Rox was born, and the tools she'll be taking to all of her projects having had that experience. It was a really joyous chat and having seen Rocks and also having followed the press campaign for it quite closely, everyone involved just radiates such pride and enthusiasm for that film. It really is um, infectious and the same can be said of the film itself and I would urge you to get out to the cinema and see it while you can. In the meantime, here's episode 64 of Best Girl Grip. like to start with these podcasts is what your first job in film was um, and perhaps how that began to lead to the path that you're on now. So to give just a little bit of context before my first job in film, credit also to my to my parents in that they were both filmmakers in the 80s and 90s um, and they, my dad is Jamaican, my mum is Indian and they always, their whole like film careers have told stories that centre black and brown communities mostly in London but in actually no not just in London in the UK and across the Caribbean and in West Africa and South Asia so I had that as a kind of I grew up in that environment in terms of telling those kinds of stories and being around like other black and brown filmmakers the last film that my parents made was a film called Baby Mother which was a um, reggae musical set in Harlesden which is northwest London where northwest London is where I grew up and I think like that was my first like understand like first experience I was really young when they made that but first experience of film and it's nice that it's having a kind of resurgence now it's on like the various lists that like people are putting out around like black British cinema and and black Black British stories. So it's quite nice to have that reflected now at the same time that Rocks is coming out. Obviously, in the context of Black Lives Matter and the importance of like authorship and storytelling in black communities. But yeah, so that just to give that as kind of a little bit of context. But then I, I was always told not to be a filmmaker because you would be poor for the rest of your life. 
also that context as well. But I, um, in in 2016, I um, was helping out on um, the film set of a film called The Party, um, mo- mostly in the rehearsal room because it was a very short shoot, so it was mostly in rehearsals, just doing like line running mm. um, and like script reading and stuff. But I met the uh, sec- the second AD who was working on that film. Was I, I, I carried on having conversations with him after the after that experience. Um, and he introduced me to um, someone at that time who was working at Fable Pictures. And it was just a kind of like a, ha- a, a happenstance meeting because I had gone to visit my grandma in Southampton. My train had been delayed, so I was going to meet this friend. And then I was late. So he was like, oh, I'll get my friend to stay on for a drink. And then we all just had a drink together. And I was talking to him about at that time, I was doing a lot of ad hoc jobs. Like I was working on Skin Deep mostly, but then also doing bar work and restaurant work and tutoring and anything mm-hmm. to kind of make a little bit of cash. And I was and I was very passionate about not wanting to ever give up on Skin Deep, which we can I know we're going to talk about later. Um, and this was a way that I could work part time. So it was a three to four day a week job at that at that point. Um, and then also carry on with Skin Deep alongside it. And then that was when I met Faye Ward and her team at Fable Pictures. At that time, there was only four or five of us. And I came on as a production assistant because they were just about to go into shoot on Stan and Ollie, which was the first mm-hmm. feature that the company shot. And then literally straight after that, Wild Rose. So it was a it was kind of one of those times where everyone in the office was like working ridiculous hours, like really, really full on. And but it was an exciting time to come and be part of it because it was a lot of you. I was given a lot of like instruction and guidance, but also a lot of autonomy as well. And it was a really brilliant learning environment. And I went in. Faye Ward is brilliant at because like one of the reasons I think she's so brilliant is that she didn't even really look at my CV beforehand because. She is really, she's from a working class background, from tooting. She didn't go to university herself. So she's very specific about not not judging someone who she's going to hire on their like academic accolades mm-hmm. or whatever on who that person is. Um, and I think that's quite rare in an industry that does like look at credits and CVs and universities and whatever. Yeah, um, big time. That was a really refreshing interview environment. To be in. Like she asked me about like what films I liked and what I was interested in about Skin Deep and everything else. And that was... Yeah, I think quite a unique interview experience Mm. for me. And yeah, so I came on as a production assistant and then over the last almost four years now, three and a half, four years, um, have worked across development and production. And we're a small team, but we've grown to about 10 people now. And it's still like women-led, women-focused and um, telling stories of the underdogs and yeah, telling stories in in ways that I think is is really special. And that's how I came to work on on rocks what a pivotal time to join fable um and yeah you're right they kind of do i think they do marginal stories in universal accessible ways kind of really well i'm wondering then if you could talk about what your role is there now and maybe like what that encompasses and what your responsibilities are um well everything's kind of changed in some way not changed but because of covid and because of lockdown we haven't like been in the same place at the same time for six well over six months now and so yeah it's it's really weird but i'm i I, because of my the nature of my like the time and energy that I was putting into rocks I was very generously allowed to kind of go on sabbatical from Fable right. during the time that we were shooting and we were in pre-production and and some of the edit um, and so now that still kind of is one of my main focuses especially as we're getting the film out and so I've been able to see that journey from the like, literally the day one that I started at Fable in in January 2017 mm. all the way till now so that's a kind of one part of my job that at the moment feels like quite all-encompassing um, but then I work really closely with Hannah um, Price who's worked as, as our head of development and, and Hannah Farrell who's one of the other creative directors of the company and Sabina Smitham who's also the, who's a development exec and Ollie um, who's just recently joined as a development assistant as well and so I work very closely with the development team on across 
across the slate so across our tv and our film projects mm -hmm. and there's no like set way of working or a set kind of day i'm really lucky lucky enough to like work very closely with some of the writers and some of the directors that um we have on our slate and we've built relationships with over the well phase built relationships with over the years sometimes it's like working very specifically on research there's a lot of time that goes into research, like historical research and cultural re research and cultural context research mm -hmm. on different projects. Um, sometimes it's like very script focused. Sometimes it's very, very practical and like a whole and like very production based in terms of like meetings. And yeah, especially when we're in, in production, that becomes like everyone's MO. So it does it, it does really change. But I think what I really like about Fable is there's a, very, a big fluidity between the work you can do creatively in development and what you can learn in production. And, and Faye has both those brains. She mm. has a, a brain that holds all these things in them. And I think that's an amazing person to learn from because it means that you don't, I've never felt like I have to pick one path yet. Yeah, maybe there will come a time where I do, but she's been, both her and Hannah Farrell have been very encouraging about just exploring what is, what you find interesting and what you're enthusiastic about in, in this period. Um, rather than saying that you have to be in a production line or you have to be in development, um, mm. which I have found very, really encouraging. And then thinking specifically about Rocks, which is their latest project, I'm wondering how that development process kind of manifested because it was quite unique. I know that you worked in collaboration with the girls that are at the centre of the film. So can you talk a bit about kind of what was there? What was the kernel of the idea that um, you had at the beginning or the team had at the beginning? And then how did that track to, to become the film it is today? So the original kernel of the idea in a very kind of simple way was to tell a story about what it meant to be a teenage girl today living in London. And that was really the kernel. And then, but then from the beginning also as like a simultaneous like system kernel <laughs> was that um, how was, was questions around like how you can, how you could build something collaboratively from the ground up um, and how you could challenge like who gets to be storytellers and who has authorship of stories. And because those questions were kind of running side by side, it became very clear from the very beginning that this had to be built whatever the story was going to be, because we didn't have a casting brief, we didn't have a story, we didn't have any idea of what the actual narrative was going to be at that point. Whatever it was going to be, it needed to be built with the young people who were going to be at the centre of the film. And then also with the creative team. And and I think there was a, it was quite a unique process in that films are necessarily collaborative, of course they are, but they're not necessarily, um, it, they're not necessarily spoken about in the honesty of that collaboration. And so what we knew from the very beginning is that we wanted this collaboration to be very transparent and for it to be a kind of like build it, building on a model, on models that have already been created because this is not the first film that's been developed in this way by any stretch, but um, to be able to kind of use it as a yeah, as a model of like other, the way that filmmaking has the potential to be and the way that stories have the potential to be told where you do centre, in this case, the young black and brown women at the centre of it. And you have a credit on the film as an associate director. And I'm wondering if that felt like a step up to you. And also it's not necessarily a role that you, again, you have, you have the director and it's not a role you often hear about. So what did you feel like your responsibilities were on set? Can you talk a bit about kind of how you were operating in that capacity? Yeah, to, like the... The credit actually kind of came like maybe later in the process than like I didn't start off with that credit. I actually started mm. off working with Sarah as in a, in a in an assistant capacity. But then from like very very early on in that relationship, Sarah recognized and the team recognized that it made like that 
that the credit needed to be more reflective of the like the work the labor the resource and the like perspective that was being brought to the table sarah sarah and i and we, she's described it in this way before that it's kind of like having two sides of the same brain because we come from completely different perspectives mm. and there's a real strength in that and that was a strength that was carried forward to like how the whole team was developed but there's a real strength in like if you if you bring different perspectives and different voices to the table the story and the process the infrastructure is going to be stronger than it would mm. if it's one person one person vision in the particular in the way that we were developing this particular narrative it, it needed to be that and so there was a real like i think a very exciting partnership that formed between sarah and i that i really really valued um and hopefully i assume she valued too um, but it on set specifically it meant that well, like for example we it's very difficult to keep for one person to keep track of everything when you have two to three cameras rolling when you have we have this like beautiful narrative and the script that was developed but then also gave the girls the freedom on set to improvise a lot of the dialogue no two takes were the same we'd sometimes run the first take would be like up to 45 minutes with three cameras like the film sets are complicated enough and then to add all these extra elements we were mm. shooting a story order we were changing the writers were changing things as we went in response to what was being acted on uh, on set that particular day it was like a really like fluid and complicated space i guess and so to be able to have kind of two brains that were looking for different things at the same time as well as the brains of like the writers and the associate producer and the producer and to have that all happening simultaneously was really important and i'm not sure it could have been done in a, a different way yeah so i would i would say it was like two sides of the same brain looking for very different things on set or focusing on different things on set and and she was and so i was very generous and we were very we were it was kind of from the very beginning we would have discussions after each take so with sarah and i with the also with the writers also with um the associate producer hannah price and like we would we would literally discuss each take as we did and as we went and then that would inform what the next take would be for me it's a kind of i've been spoiled in that i think maybe this is just how films can be made and should be made and so i wonder like what my next experience will be like if it if it follows that same kind of pattern i really hope it will because mm. I've been like shown the possibilities in a way that I think has been is really like fulfilling and and reflective of like people's actual expertise and, and knowledge. Well, that sort of leads on to one of my next questions. I mean, it sounds very radical, and I'm wondering if you think it could become the norm in the future, and and how that would go about being instated. It's radical in some ways, but I also think that it's important to recognise that we we were doing it on the shoulders of lots of other filmmakers who have worked in this way. Like one example is Horace Ove and the way he worked um, on films like Pressure, and I think. Um, Babylon, I think, where he worked like in community with people, he worked in like an improvisational way as well. So it, it's it is radical in some ways, but also just to give credit where credit is due, we were mm. building on a long legacy of films being built like this. If it is to become the norm in the future, what do you think it will will take for other people to kind of be working in this way? What will it take? I think like it feels unique in the context of an industry um, of this industry because this industry is like notoriously quite inaccessible, pretty inaccessible and, and very hierarchical. Mm. And so I think in the context of that, it may feel radical, like you said, but I think that for young, like a lot of us who have worked on this project, it's our first feature film, like from start to finish, it's our first feature film. And it means that we're going, we're, we've now built a value system for ourselves and collectively. Um, that means that when we go on to doing future projects like this, these are the non-negotiables, like having a 75% female crew, making sure that the people at the center are like the voices, like are the storytellers that whose story it is, like all of these things become your, yeah, become your non-negotiables going forward. And so I think it is possible. And 
there is some um, an element to it of like you see it and you believe that it is possible like for me now I've seen it's possible like there's no question mm -hmm. um, and so hopefully what rocks can do not just in terms of sparking conversations about like the particular themes or the representation or whatever but can also spark conversations about like filmmaking processes um, and the industry being honest about where its failings are um, because it's not like the resource isn't there. It's not like the talent isn't there. It's not like the, yeah, the, the jobs aren't there. They just like, like there needs to be a redistribution, an honest redistribution of those resources and to, and to challenge like why we're still having conversations about authorship and storytelling as if there's only room for one, as if there's only room for one rocks. Um, like rocks is one narrative of hundreds that and thousands that could and should be told. And so it's just a case of like making sure those stories are told rather than mm. like questioning whether they should be. Mm -mm -mm. I'm thinking of it as, as like job done yeah Rock hopefully we'll just kind of like melt into this whole like I don't know a whole tapestry <laughs> yeah whole tapestry of yeah it's a good one mm -hmm. a whole tapestry of films that center young black and brown women and speaking of the young women at the center of the story I mean did you feel a certain responsibility to them it being their sort of first time on a film set um how what was that relationship like for you um, I mean, yeah, 100% felt a massive amount of responsibility. Um, I think that it helped that, like, Teresa Rococo and Claire Wilson, so Teresa, who's the story creator, and then Claire Wilson, her co-writer, and myself all had experience working with young people, like, outside of the industry. So Teresa has years of experience working with young people, particularly young people who have been part of the criminal justice system. Claire has um, run an organisation called The Welcome Kitchen, The Welcome Cinema, and they work with refugee communities in the UK. Um, I run an organisation called Skin Deep, where we work with young creatives who are working towards racial justice and social justice. And so we all had that experience outside of the industry that we were able to bring to, to this like particular project. Um, and I think that massively helped and also helped in terms of um, questioning from the be very beginning, like the difference between short term support and long term support, because there's, the industry does not do enough, definitely does not do mm -hmm. enough to support people from their maybe their first experience in the industry and their next experience. And there's an organization that's been set up by some of us who worked on Rocks, led by Jessica Straker and Lucy Pardy, who are the casting team and Axa Hines, um, who has come on to support but she also has a, a role at um, RADA as the outreach and participation manager so she's also and, and, and as a youth worker mm. and also Wada Mohammed who worked on on rocks as well and and the writers and, and myself so we've set up this organization called Bridge that um, is exactly about that bridging your first gap between bridging the gap between your first experience in film and your next experience in film because that's where so many people get like dropped or, or, fall, or fall through the gaps because mm. they're not infrastructures in place to make sure that support support is long term and so I think having had those experiences outside of these film spaces and, and TV spaces to bring that to the, to the, um, to rocks was really important and hopefully has been something that we've like carried through and can carry on through bridge. Yeah. I love that particularly with non-actors because it's all very well sort of employing them, but yeah, then kind of sending them back into a reality that, that says, Oh, well, we don't need you now that we've kind of used you. So that, yeah, that's that feels very special there's a, real, there's a real disposability in the industry and I feel like that's something that we've like with bridge has like massively worked to challenge yeah it's a it's a I think it's a real real issue and you raised uh your platform there skin deep so that's the kind of perfect time to sort of segue into what that is and where the idea came from and how you got it off the ground 
the origin story for Skin Deep was that it emerged as a print publication whilst whilst I was at university and whilst some of the the, the team were at university, which was a which was a majority white space. And so we wanted to create something that represented the experiences and and lives and and like the world of like students of black and brown students at that time. And it it was kind of part of like what we wanted to do is like build an archive of those experiences to, to um, add to an institutional memory that so often gets erased because of the nature of like the short time that you're there, like three or four years. Right. Um, and and also in 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 a quest as a like a response to a question about like how you bring about institutional change in an institution that is so resistant to change. <laughs> and so yeah, it started off as a print, but um, and then when we graduated and moved to London we moved to like a lot of us live in London or move back to London and obviously like the issues around like race and racial representation is, they don't like just like go away just because you graduated from uni and it felt like a kind of exciting space to be in because when we came to London there were so many other like publications and platforms and grassroots organizations that existed and were developing um that focused on issues of racial justice that we felt we were kind of part of this like what you said like the word used before this part of a much bigger tapestry so the the goals of Skin Deep and the the vision for it became much less about like rep like the representational goals on like having conversations about like yeah representation or or racial equality or anything like that and became much more of a conversation about how do you work with creatives how do you work with activists to tell to tell their stories and platform work that is going on across the country and and worldwide as well and so one of our like what one of the things we do we, what we developed from as a print publication became we carried on with the print so we've now done nine issues we also started doing um live events because we believe like any kind of like real structural change and things that are going to and any yeah any any real change needs to happen in some ways in person and being able to bring people into a physical space is a really important part of that and so we run various kind of event series and workshops a lot of them a lot of them music focused so we run a series called sonic transmissions which um where we've been able to collaborate with some like incredible mu um jazz musicians or yeah jazz musicians in um from the like the south london jazz scene not that they would want to be called jazz musicians <laughs> yeah it's a very limiting term i think mm. And is that something is that something you might define as a side hustle? Like, how does that fit into your day to day? And and how do you prioritize your time? Because it seems like you're spinning lots of plates. <laughs> I would, I think maybe at some points I have to define it as a side hustle. But like, I think definitely now, I I I don't think now I would ever describe it as a side hustle because it is the thing that I one of the things I enjoy most in the world like I get to work with some of the most incredible storytellers. I get to like I get to edit work. I get to create events I get to collaborate with people that I just think are some of the most yeah incredible artists in in the world and so I would never think of it as a side hustle the ultimate aim is to be able to run it as like a kind of full-time organization whether I'm working on it full-time is another question right. but I'm lucky enough to work with a really strong team of co-directors that all have the same ambition for it and the same vision for it especially in the context of rocks there was a lot that I was able to bring to the table because of skin deep um, and maybe that's quite rare when people feel that they're having to like split their time and split mm. their energy I feel, for me, it felt like a real kind of synergy, I guess, between two separate or seemingly separate projects and informed a lot of what I brought to, yeah, what I brought to the filmmaking process in Rocks as well. Um, Can you give an example of that? Yeah, well, I think, I don't know, if, maybe it's repeating, but I think that one example of that is this questioning of like storytellers and who gets to be a storyteller and whose mm -hmm. stories are told. And with Skin Deep, that's a question that we've asked from like the very inception of it. Um, and also, how do you centre 
black and brown voices in that storytelling. Bringing that those questions to rocks from the very beginning meant that we were all having conversations about like the value of storytellers who don't consider themselves, who don't necessarily consider themselves storytellers. Hopefully they do now. Yeah. And is that about at Skin Deep? Is that about giving people opportunities that, you know, might not have degrees in journalism or might not have ever written for a publication before? Is that is that what you mean about sort of elevating storytellers that might not consider themselves as such? Yeah, like a lot of some of the writers that we've worked with are very established writers and some of them it's their first writing experience. And I think there's a what we make sure to do is like they they are valued equally alongside each other. Our writers are are paid for the value of their work, not for necessarily for their experience or what they've written before, but the value of that particular thing that they're bringing to the table. Yeah. And I think that like one one project that has been really inspiring to me is a project run by my friend Andre Anderson called um, Authors of the Estate. Um, and he runs an organization called Freedom and Balance. And this was one of their projects. And the question that he asked is like, how do you how do you turn your neighborhood into a publishing house? And then like kind of by proxy with that is like, how do you how do you challenge who are the storytellers and who gets to consider themselves a storyteller in in the context of your neighborhood and the context of um, your environment? I think that's that's a, and, that, and that's a kind of the same kinds of questions that we're asking in Skin Deep is like whose stories are valued in the in like mainstream publications and mainstream media. There's often a very kind of like singular narrative, um, particularly around black and brown communities that is put out. And that's why I also loved working on Brox is because it was a narrative that was centered on joy. Um, and it was a, it was centered on a kind of like, yeah, a light and a joy and a hope that we don't often get to see on screen. And that's what we do with Skin Deep. Like we center joy and abundance rather than like just the stories of struggle, which are completely necessary, but they're just not the only narrative. And I think especially in this, in the context of like the ongoing struggle around Black Lives and Black Lives Matter, like, and this being, this year being one iteration of that ongoing struggle, there's really important questions that need to be asked about like, that like the things that you see on screen and the stories that you hear cannot just be rooted in struggle. They have to be rooted in abundance because that is the truth of our communities. That's the truth of the stories that we know, that we know and, and the experiences we know to be true. But, but why is it not reflected in, in what we hear and what we see about ourselves? And, and so Skin Deep's role, I think, in that is a, is a place of like telling stories of that are honest and nuanced and complex, but also joyful and abundant. And I also think that comes through in rock. So that's maybe another kind of synergy thing as well. I love that you called it an archive earlier as well, because I think that's so important, uh, not just about what's valued, but, you know, what's what's culturally preserved and sort of like what's held up as being indicative of kind of our wider experience. I'm wondering also uh, what you consider to be the biggest learning curve of your career. I mean, rocks was one big learning curve. <laughs> For me, it was a kind of baptism of fire in some ways, because of the kind of the the intensity of it and the the full on nature of it. I think it's been a learning like learning curve. I think in that it has it's given me the uh, like a set of tools that I will not ever put down. I guess mm. maybe like tools and like a value system and a and a and a set of kind of non negotiables going forward and how I want to make work and how I want to yeah how I want to tell stories or facilitate storytelling. Yeah, it was a real challenge. Like it, it, it's it, it wasn't an easy process by any means. No filming process is 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 easy. It, they're like incredibly intense and incredibly mm. like really incredibly tough and emotional at point but it really yeah, it, it's it's given me a value system and it will mass yeah massively inform any projects that I do going forward and finally I'm aware of the time but I'm wondering if you've seen a film recently by a woman director that you think is an undervalued gem that you'd like to use this platform to highlight 
there was a couple that I wanted to highlight and then one recommendation that um, I was given. But I think like a couple of my favourite films recently have been like Lulu Wang's The Farewell, which again, I don't think is undervalued. Maybe it is undervalued, but I, I value it so mm-hmm. highly. Um, and also Melina Matsukas's Queen and Slim, I think are two brilliant, but I think maybe your listeners will probably have watched those films. Um, just the other two, I think, I, I think when one of the first times where I was really struck by seeing like parts of myself on screen and parts of my friendships reflected on screen was in Cecilia Lameke's series, Aki and Saltfish, when it was a, she did a YouTube series mm. and then I think developed by BBC or something after that but the original series um, Aki and Saltfish was like it was that kind of that moment where you have it, it gave me like real deep belly laughs and a real deep, like familiarity on screen mm-hmm. that I hadn't really kind of experienced before and that was probably like maybe 2016 maybe 2017 kind of time um, and then one, one recommendation which was actually given by Teresa Ikoko who's the co-writer and storyteller on rocks and um, it's a a film called Second Coming by Debbie Tucker Green. Yes, I'd love that. That was my recommendation in terms of what I want to watch next, a filmmaker. Yeah, um, that's interesting because I know Teresa's a playwright or, you know, and so and so was Debbie. So I wonder if that she sort of maybe saw that um, transition reflected as well. Um, and finally, I guess my, my final question that I'm just going to squeeze in is, is now you're kind of in the filmmaking sphere. Are your, are your parents proud of you <laughs> after having told you not to get into filmmaking? <laughs> no, definitely. I mean, they're very proud of rocks as well. I don't think it's I think it's very hard not to be proud of rocks. Mm. and obviously like yeah, proud of me in, in that. And they've been like incredible supports and incredible kind of guides and and also like very honest guides as well, because I think it can be quite dangerous when the people closest to you are not honest with you and they've always been completely honest, which is invaluable. And yeah, I really I really respect and and value everything they've done to support like to me and also to support me in in the rocks journey. And and I hope they're they're not telling me to like duck out now. Annie, thank you so much for your time today. Um, this has been, yeah, really great. And you speak so eloquently about the film and all your I'm really sorry, I haven't, endeavors. I haven't, I'm really, really just sorry that I um, haven't had breakfast yet. And so my brain is really funny. <sighs> and so this is not necessarily the best, like most articulate or like smooth. I mean, if I could... this is you without breakfast, I'm kind of scared for what you would be like once you've had fuel. downloading this episode of best girl grip you can find all my previous episodes on itunes spotify and acast to discover screenings of rocks near you please visit rocks.film and i'll be back next tuesday with a brand new episode so until then have a lovely week and-